0: Hello. I'd like to welcome John Stone, who's a neurologist from Edinburgh, who has provided practical neurology with two extremely useful papers on functional disease, uh, and we've taken the opportunity at the Association of British Neurologists meeting in Brighton to discuss them. Welcome, John. Thank you, Guy. Uh, perhaps you'd like to just outline the framework that uh, you
1: see for approaching patients with functional disease. Okay. Well. So the articles in Practical Neurology, the, the, the first one um, in there is called uh, Functional Neurological Disorders, the Assessment as, as Treatment, and I've wrote it very, with, very much with neurologists in mind. I think there's a feeling that the, by many people that the, that the role of a neurologist in seeing those patients is really to try and make a diagnosis, and some people might then want to take that forward, but a lot of people feel their job is to simply exclude disease. And one of the main themes of the paper was the idea that that actually there are multiple opportunities within the assessment for the neurologist not only to make the diagnosis but actually to assist the patient with treatment as as they're going along in the way that they ask questions um, and the way that they perform the examination.
0: And as part of this, the idea is that functional neurological disease is a positive
1: diagnosis rather than merely an absence of... Yeah, that's that a, that a really essential point to the diagnosis. These are not diagnoses of exclusion. Um, if you diagnose them that way, you will probably make mistakes. Uh, you must be looking for positive evidence of either, either physical signs that are internally inconsistent like a Hoover sign or a tremor entrainment test uh, or that you just know are, only occur in that condition. So, for example, if someone falls down suddenly, lies on the ground with their eyes closed for more than two or three minutes and they're not dead, then that is a dissociative non-epileptic attack. So so simple ideas like that, that these are positive diagnoses, that, that, that's very important. That comes a little bit later, actually, I think. So what are the elements within the
0: assessment, the history taking and so on that you would want to highlight to bring out
1: these? Yeah, well, I think I think one of the first things is that Patients, not all patients, I mean the, the, we're talking about a very heterogeneous group of patients and you can't, it's very difficult to generalise about them but it is true that patients with functional disorders often have many symptoms and one of the things I think that is both diagnostically and therapeutically helpful is to make sure you've actually, uh, what, you've made a list of all those symptoms at the beginning of the consultation. So it might seem counterintuitive if someone has five or six symptoms to actually then say to them, well what about fatigue? What about dizziness? But I think there's ways of doing that quickly, which are incredibly helpful to the patient because they think, "Gosh, here's a doctor that is interested in my fatigue and is interested in my dizziness." And it's if and unless you get those things out, they'll, they'll pop up later on as they're leaving the door, or, and it sets the right tone. I think so. To, so I think one of the, certainly what I find useful is to go through those list of physical symptoms, leave. Questions about psychological symptoms to later, they can, they can wait, they're not essential for making the diagnosis. Um, patient might want to talk about them, might not, but physical symptoms, very important, I think, to get those out first. And
0: obviously, once you finish the history, uh, are there any elements within the examination that you would actually want to bring out?
1: yeah so within well just in terms of other bits of the history so for asking the patient what they think i know younger doctors are trained to do that now but i think many many of us don't don't do that and it's incredibly important in terms of understanding where the patient's starting from and their understanding of their condition in the examination it is a positive diagnosis and I take the view that we should be explaining it to patients in the same way that we'd be explaining any other condition in neurology. We have a habit of um, doing something very odd with explanation, uh, which is telling them what they don't have and then starting to try and tell them why they, why they don't have it uh, or what the e- potential etiological factors of this strange condition are. I've, my own practice and many others is that is that if you, it's incredibly valuable to show patients these positive signs. So these are the sort, of, the sort of neurologist tricks of the trade that we've kept rather secret and hidden. Patients really appreciate seeing that you're not making the diagnosis because the scan's normal or because the patient might be worried that you're making it because you think they've got some mental illness or something like that. You're, you're making it because they've got hoover sign. When they try and press down on the ground, it's weak, and when they, you're lifting up the other leg, it comes back to normal. You obviously have to be very careful how you explain that. You have to show them that you believe them and you show them that you know that they're trying. But that's, that's a very powerful way of bringing the process and the understanding of diagnosis away from the scanner and tests and back into the consulting room and saying, look, I know what this is. Here's the physical sign. This is what tells me this is a functional disorder.
0: And you mentioned not exploring the causation, and,
1: and I think that that's been yeah, quite well a big I, shift. Yeah, well, I, I think people have to use their judgment, but we don't... I mean, we do explore... Again, it's about doing what we normally do. So if you see someone with a stroke and you're meeting them for the first time, you might ask them if they've been a smoker. But you wouldn't then try and explain to them that they have had a, a, a stroke caused by smoking. You wouldn't put that in the diagnostic label. You wouldn't call it, as we've written in the article, a smokogenic stroke, yeah? partly because you don't actually know for sure if the smoking is relevant. It might be, uh, but it's quite likely that you have a much more complex view of etiology, which is multifactorial for stroke. And we've been stuck with this very simplistic uh, model of psychogenic uh, neurological disorders uh, and a Freudian model of sort of converted stress and the data just doesn't support that. The data supports a multifactorial model in which psychological factors are relevant in some patients, other patients don't seem to have them. Some patients get these symptoms, they get triggered by physiological events which then become habit forming. So, Eti- etiology is obviously can be very important for treatment but it's not important in the initial consultation as it isn't it's not important when you see someone with Parkinson's disease or migraine you know we fo- what we focus on as neurologists is telling the patient what they have wrong with them and we might attempt to talk about why why they have migraine why they have Parkinson's disease but we don't actually know really most of the time we can have a guess discuss it but it's, it's not what we normally do so when the conversation turns to, explana- you know, to, to the diagnosis the patient is baffled by a doctor who's insistent on telling them what they don't have and then insistent on speculating about why they have this thing without ju- missing out all the middle bits about what it is. And
0: in the article, or in one of the articles, you took a very novel approach to try and convey and explore this information. Do you want to tell us a bit about that and your thinking behind
1: it? Yes. Well, I've, for some years I've been in giving talks, I've used pictures of people having uh, consultations with speech bubbles coming out of their mouths and trying to get audiences to think about the effect that words have. So if you say to someone you have psychogenic seizures. What's the patient thinking? And we have some evidence for what patients think because we've asked them. And most of the time they're thinking, um, that doctor thinks I'm making it up. And it might not be what you, you know, they, 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 they might misinterpret those things. And so we, we expanded on that for this article. With uh, We took our inspiration from um, journals such as Jackie from the, from the 1970s and we thought this would be a fun way of showing people, getting people to think about what they're saying, what the patient's thinking and how that might play out, why sometimes these consultations feel difficult for you as a doctor and, uh, and how to try and make them less difficult and more, and more, benef- more positive for you and the patient. In the, uh, in the second article we've got a series of of uh, photo story really uh, where the junior doctors, he goes into the consultation in a rather negative way, he's not very happy about having to see another functional patient. He starts to tell the patient that um, they don't have anything wrong and then starts to talk about stress and the patient gets very upset. Fortunately it's all been a bad dream and the, pa- the, and the doctor wakes up and is able to have another go <laughs> um, and on the second go we we try and put together some of the principles we've been talking about. And we're very much making the point in that article, it's a a bit of a shift for us actually as well, because over the years people have argued endlessly about what to call these conditions, and we've taken part in that argument to some extent. Although I don't don't think we've ever said you must call it X, but people have those arguments. Should it be functional, psychogenic, medically unexplained? I think medically unexplained should be banned, but we'll we'll put that to one side. I, what the, the, the point we're making with the article is actually there's a lot of common agreement about the core features of a good explanation which are separate from whether, about the label that you apply to it and I think people should use the label that they feel comfortable with and that they believe themselves and we've made the point that the core features are rather similar to what you would do normally which is make sure you've got enough time uh, tell, start by telling the patient what they have, which is what you would, if someone's got Parkinson's disease, you don't start the consultation with, you don't have multiple sclerosis, you have Parkinson's, you just don't say that, you, you start with what they do have and then tell them something about what, how you know that that's the case. So if it was Parkinson's disease, you'd say, well, I know this is Parkinson's disease because you've got this certain sort of tremor, your arm's a bit stiff, it's a bit slow. In fun- functional leg weakness, you'd say, "Well, you've- here's your Hoover sign. Here's your see how your tremor stops when I ask you to copy the other hand." And explaining the mechanisms, what we normally do. So, if someone's got Parkinson's disease, you say, "Well, the- what's happened? Why have I got what's what's going on?" In fact, the patient says, "Why have I got Parkinson's disease?" You say, "There's not enough dopamine in your brain. I'm afraid the cells that make it have aged." That's not really an- that's not really a- explaining why at all. That's a mechanism. Or MS, there's inflammation, that's a mechanism. So we can explain the mechanism of functional disorders in the same way. There's a problem with the way your nervous system is working. It's clear that when you try, in fact the more you try, the worse it is. So there's a problem perhaps with abnormal attentional focus. Maybe it's become a habit that your nervous system's got into. Why why that's happened is another story. But uh, that's the mechanism of the problem, and it's software versus hardware. And so it's really about doing things in the, in, the, in the usual order I think, and that's what we find makes consultations go smoothly so it's just it, so're we're not we're not suggesting that people have a special develop some special new skills with these patients It's more like unlearn the the bad the bad habits that you've got into with these patients that you might have learned from other people i think
0: and I think the other therapeutic Opportunity certainly one I find I take frequently is to show them your excellent website uh, www.neurosymptoms.org, That's very which key. which actually uh, patients find very helpful because it re- they recognise they're not alone.
1: Well, again, I, I, mean, I started that website in uh, 2009. Partly, I just was struggling to convey the information. Having done it, I realised that there's a number of things I'd done by doing that. One of one of them was. It, having a website for a condition is, is what people expect. If you have a diagnosis, you expect to be able to read something about it somewhere. It was weird that patients couldn't. I think It helps to, obviously, hopefully it is helpful for the patient to, to read it cause, uh, in terms of pointing them in a certain direction of rehabilitation. You get a certain amount of information from finding out what happens after you've suggested asking a patient to read a website. So if they come back and they you've sent them a copy of your letter and you've given them a website then you're making, a, an, you're making a, an effort to communicate with that patient and in a way that hopefully they can go back home and show their family and think about it. it we, we know that patients forget large portions of a consultation so it's simply not it's not reasonable to give patients a complicated formulation of a complicated condition without back, backing up with, with written material. I also try and print things out for patients so that I know that they've got the material. It becomes very helpful in a follow-up to find out what they've done with that because sometimes the patient is, is extremely grateful, they're very relieved and happy to meet a doctor who knows what's wrong with them. Looking after these patients can be a very positive and rewarding experience. I think Some patients however come back and they can't remember the letter, they can't remember the website and that tells you something as well. Sometimes you need to go through things again sometimes they're not in a situation where they can benefit from treatment I think um, so yeah inf- I think information we've we've neglected that um, and we think that as neurologists that if we give a big formulation about what we think about the etiology the patient's going to be happy with that I don't think they are they need a and I think they do need patients do need a diagnostic label um, you can't go to work and explain to your employers that the reason you've got a weak leg is because of this formulation that someone gave you. You need, It needs to have a name if it's causing a serious disability.
0: So if you were wanting to summarize the message you wanted to get across in
1: uh, a few short sentences, what would you say? Functional disorders are uh, should be a positive diagnosis made on usually on the basis of the physical examination. Neurologists are the in the key position to provide the initial stage of treatment. They are not just there to exclude neurological disease. They are the key person who can make a diagnosis, uh, triage for further treatment, help the patient understand their condition. Unless that step is uh, done well, the patient is, un- is much less likely to benefit from therapy if it's, done- if it's done poorly. We can do enormous good with our patients with functional disorders. Um, and. Uh, so I think it's very important that, that more attention is paid to training and thinking about them because it's not as, perhaps as difficult as people think. Thank you
0: very much. I'm sure your two articles will make a
1: substantial and useful contribution in that uh, journey. Thank, Thank you very much. Thank you.